Welcome to the Texas Candidates Podcast, TXC360. TXC360 provides year-round coverage on Texas candidates for office, state, and federal elections, and the political makeup of Texas 217 legislative districts. If you have any questions or would like a transcript of the discussion, please contact us at info at texascandidates.com. Welcome to the Texas Candidates Podcast, TXC 360. I'm Eric Wright, one of the co-owners of Texas Candidates. And today we'll be talking to Dana Chido, who is also a co-owner and the founder of Texas Candidates, about her predictions and analysis for the November 3rd general election. Dana, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Eric. So Dana, before we get started, I'd like for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself and Texas candidates and and how long you've been working uh, to analyze races in Texas? Well, I started Texas candidates uh, in the 1990s. I was compiling candidate information for my clients. And then some other people came to me and said, we want this information that you're providing to your clients. And that's why I started Texas candidates. And then I moved it online in the early 2000s. Well, I'm certainly biased, but uh, I think it's a great product, and I know you put a lot of time and effort into the product, and uh, I I think it's a really useful resource for uh, corporations and PACs and individuals who are uh, interested in elections in Texas. Well, it's really based on a a formula that uh, determines the Democratic and Republican split in uh, all of the Texas House, Texas Senate, and Texas Congressional uh, races, and it's uh, been pretty accurate and reliable, actually, over the years. Very good. Well, let's, uh, let's dive right into it, Dana. What do you make of the high voter turnout, uh, early voter turnout in uh, this election? Well, Eric, voter turnout is a very important indicator. Um, a higher voter turnout usually favors Democrats. Um, voter turnout is normally almost double in presidential election years. So over the past couple of decades in presidential years, turnout in Texas has been between 50% and 59%. And then in the non-presidential election years, it's been between 33% and 37%. So this century, Democrats have won the swing districts in presidential years and Republicans have won the swing districts in non-presidential years. I have to admit, I was wrong in my predictions in 2018. I thought it would be a good year for the D's if they could just hang on to the swing districts that they usually lose in non-presidential years. But Democrats ultimately picked up 12 seats in the House and two in the Senate. And the reason was high turnout. Turnout in 2018 was 53%, almost as much as a presidential year election. In fact, more than some presidential elections. And so far this election, the turnout's been huge. Um, particularly in the counties where Democrats hope to pick up seats, like Collin and Denton counties, and where Democrats are trying to hang on to seats that they won in 2018, Williamson County, Hayes, and Travis counties. Total statewide turnout as of yesterday was already over 48%. 8.2 million voters had already cast ballots. The total turnout in 2016, the last presidential election, was 59%. 8.9 million voters. Turnout in 2018 was 53%. We've almost hit that already. Um, and I also have some fun facts that you might 
enjoy. There are 1.8 million more registered voters in Texas than in 2016. That's a 12.3% increase. And in 2016, 73% of voters cast ballots early, 26% voted on election day. So it's trending for voters to, um, for people to vote early. And I think that's happening. If we get just even 20% though on election day, the turnout's gonna be enormous. So I, I understand that, that we're, the numbers certainly indicate that, that we're having an increased voter turnout in these, uh, this early election process. Uh, we're reading about that not only in Texas, but around the country. But in Texas in particular, where we have extended early voting by an additional six days because of the governor's um, uh, proclamation, is, is that not what's having the effect on the increased voter turnout, the additional six days? Well, I don't really think so. I think there's a lot more voter enthusiasm than we're used to seeing. It became evident in 2018 already with the higher turnout. So I think it's more of increased voter enthusiasm and not the length of time that you have to get to the polls. Okay. Thank you for that, Dana. Uh, so let's talk about the elimination of straight ticket voting. I, my understanding is that that was eliminated in the 85th legislative session. Uh, however, this is the first election cycle where uh, that goes into effect. So give us a, an idea of what you think the effect of the elimination of straight ticket voting will have on this particular election. You are correct that um, elimination of straight ticket voting passed the legislature in 2017, but this is the first uh, general election where it's taking effect. And it is the big wild card in this election. I pulled up some statistics from the 2016 presidential election and it indicates that between 16% and 39% of Republican voters and between 22% and 41% of Democratic voters used the straight ticket option uh, in 2016 presidential election, depending on the county. So from the statistics, it appears that Democrats used that option more than Republicans. So eliminating straight ticket voting likely hurts the Democrats. Also, uh, in the 2018 general election, there was a between 3% and 10% undervote. That means that up to 10% of the people who did not vote straight ticket voted for candidates at the top of the ballot, but did not vote all the way down the ballot to state senate or state representative. So without a straight ticket option, up to 30% or even more voters might not make it all the way down the ballot. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. So essentially, higher turnout favors Democrats, and no straight ticket voting probably favors Republicans. We'll be right back. Stay in the loop with Circle. Circle is the mobile platform that brings state leadership and influencer data to the same secure spot, providing details on all Texas statewide, Senate and House elected officials. Users have access to contact information, official websites, campaign websites, committee memberships, staff listings, and staff emails. Circle is the simplest way for policymakers, citizens, and influencers to get the information they need to communicate and collaborate on state policy and governance. 
Also, check out our lobby search tool and set up alerts when companies hire lobbyists. Go to the Apple or Google Play stores and download the Circle app for 360 data on Texas government. And thank you to Circle for supporting today's podcast. So before we talk about the Texas House, uh, even though that's a, a big question in this cycle, do you see any changes in the Texas Senate? Surprisingly, Eric, there are actually six swing districts in the Texas Senate. Four are represented by Republicans and two by Democrats, but only one of the swing districts is on the ballot this year because senators serve four-year terms. That is Senate District 19, which Republican Senator Pete Flores won in a special election in September of 2018. He replaced Democratic State Senator Carla Shiresti. That special election, and special elections usually have low voter turnout, and this one definitely did. Uh, Flores won with 57% of the vote. Um, but this year, in a high turnout general election, I think it'll be very hard for him to hold on to that seat. According to the TexasCandidates.com Partisan Index, it's a 56% Democratic district, and Donald Trump got less than 42% of the vote in 2016 in this district. Ted Cruz barely broke 42% in 2018. With the help of the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Flores fundraising has been very robust compared to his Democratic challenger, who is the State Representative Roland Gutierrez. And Gutierrez had a grueling and very expensive Democratic primary and runoff that Flores is outraising him for sure for the general election. But the fate of this district is very closely tied to Congressional District 23, seat that's being vacated by Republican Congressman Will Hurd. That um, district overlaps in a little over 50% of this district. Um, the Congressional District is the most watched competitive Congressional District in the country. But the other half of the Senate District that does not overlap in C23 seat is more heavily Democratic. 63% of the vote in Senate District 19 comes from Bayer County, compared to 51% of the vote in that Congressional District 23 coming from Bayer County. So are you making a prediction in this race? I think advantage Democrats. Okay, fair so enough. The, number, the numbers bear that out. The, my, my numbers in the Congressional District say that the congressional district is 51% Democratic, but the Senate district is almost 56% Democratic. Okay. And turnouts apparently pretty high. Okay, so that brings us now to the Texas House. And the big question is, can the Democrats win a majority in the House this cycle? Well, to answer that question, I, I first wanna talk about the Democratic House districts that are held by Republicans. Uh, according to TexasCandidates.com Partisan Index, there are 16 Democratic swing districts. Three of those are represented by Republicans, so those are the best opportunities for Democrats to pick up House seats. Um, the first one is Sarah Davis's District 134 in Houston. It's a 55% Democratic district. Um, the district has very sophisticated voters who know and like Sarah Davis. Um, she was able to win it in 2016 and 2018 when Trump and Cruz got less than 40% of the vote and Sarah still won. Uh, sooner or later, the numbers will catch up with her. Then in Dallas, 
Both Angie Chin Button and Morgan Meyer are in rematches with their 2018 Democratic challengers. Uh, in 2018, Meyer won with only 207 votes out of over 78,000 votes cast. Button won with slightly more. She had 1,110 votes out of 53,000 votes cast. But the, margin, the margin was 1,100 votes. Yes. Okay. Clinton and O'Rourke carried both of those districts in 2016 and 2018. And an added problem um, this time for both Button and Meyer is that there is also a libertarian candidate in their races, which they did not have in 2018, or they might not have survived then. Uh, libertarian candidates can siphon off between 1.5 and three points from a Republican candidate. Button and Meyer also held the last two Republican seats in Dallas County delegation that the Democrats haven't picked up yet. So that campaign financing has been robust. The Democratic challengers uh, have had comparable fundraising on the eight day reports and Johnson still had a lead over Sarah Davis, but Meyer and Button outraised their challengers thanks to Associated Republicans of Texas and Texans for lawsuit reform for Meyer and Governor Abbott for Button. Okay, so that covers Democratic Opportunity Districts. What about Republican Opportunity Districts? So the Democrats need nine seats to gain a majority in the Texas House, but that challenge starts with keeping all 12 of the seats that they won in 2018. So by our numbers, there are 25 Republican swing districts. Four of those are held by Democrats. So those are the best Republican Opportunity Districts. Um, that starts in House District um, 132 in Houston with a rematch for Gina Kalani with former State Representative Mike Schofield, um, who she defeated by uh, only 113 votes in 2018 out of almost 67,000 votes cast. Uh, the Libertarian candidate in that race picked up 1,106, so that made the difference in that race in Schofield's loss. And there's not a libertarian in the race this year. The second one is the neighboring Houston district, um, House District 135. That's where John Rosenthal defeated State Representative Gary Elkins in 2018 by 1,700 votes. Um, the libertarian in that race got 867 votes, so that wasn't the, the wouldn't have made a difference. But uh, again, there's a libertarian in the race. Um, the other two Democrats in Republican districts are Vicki Goodwin in Austin and Michelle Beckley in Denton County. Um, there is a Libertarian in that Austin-based Vicki Goodwin race. But up in Denton County in 2018, Michelle Beckley defeated Representative Ron Simmons by 1,300 votes. Um, this time, Beckley's opponent is former Louisville ISD trustee Cronda Timish. Uh, Ron Simmons has handpicked um, that candidate. Uh, but it is noteworthy um, that Denton County is having very high turnout. It's already had 58%. Um, it's the, it, it and Williamson County sort of trade places for first and second day to day, but it's in the top two in voter turnout. Okay, so after those four Democratic uh, Democrats and Republican districts, do the Republicans have any other opportunities to win back seats? Um, yes, um, by our numbers. Um, there are 13 other Democrats that are in swing districts. Four of those are noteworthy. Um, the House District 102 in Dallas, 
uh, former Representative Linda Coop is trying to make a comeback against Representative Ana Maria Ramos. Coop lost by almost five points in 2018, but she's been campaigning ever since and has outraised and outspent Ramos by more than double. Another House race, 114, District 114 is also in Dallas. Representative John Turner has a tough challenge from Luisa Del Rosal. Um, she is the executive director of the Tower Center at Southern Methodist University. Del Rosal has outraised Turner by more than double. Also, another Dallas area district, uh, 113, Retta Andrews Bowers' opponent is um, pharmacist Will Douglas. He has a very active, well-funded campaign. As of the 30-day reports, he had a cash-on-hand lead of $400,000 to Bowers, $75,000. And on the eight-day report, he raised $1.3 million to Bowers, $366,000. And that last one is Representative Erin Zwiener in Hayes County. Um, she has a serious challenge from Carrie Isaac, who's been actively campaigning for almost two years uh, with the help of her, her husband, who is former State Representative Jason Isaac and his grassroots network. Uh, another potential problem for Zwiener is her 2,676 vote margin in 2018 came uh, from Texas State University students, many of whom are not likely attending classes in person this semester. Actually, uh, the chancellor said 50% of students are studying online only. But Hayes County turnout started out really low, but it's now up over 50%. Okay. So let's go back to the Democratic side. Besides the three Republic, uh, Republicans in Democratic districts, what are the best Democratic opportunity districts? So based on the TexasCandidates.com's partisan index numbers, there are four tiers of Democratic opportunity districts. So keep in mind, if the Democrats keep all 12 of the seats that they gained in 2018, and they win all three of the seats of Republicans in Democratic districts, they will still need six more seats. So there are four tiers of the Democratic Opportunity Districts indicate what potential uh, races those could be. Uh, and there are four races in tier one, Democratic Opportunity Districts. The first one is House District 138. It's the open seat vacated by Dwayne Bohack in Houston. The numbers in that district are changing rapidly. Clinton and Trump broke even in 2016, but in 2018, Beto O'Rourke carried it by over six points. Um, that's the highest of the tier one Democratic Opportunity District, and it's an open seat, which also makes it more competitive. Uh, then in House District 66 in Collin County, uh, Representative Matt Shaheen is in a rematch with the Democrat that he squeaked by with only 391 votes in 2018. And this time there's a libertarian in the race, which will make it even harder for Shaheen um, to prevail. Um, in the other Collin County seat is District 67. Representative Jeff Leach had a wider, although not comfortable, 1600 vote margin in 2018. Um, his opponent, Lorenzo Sanchez, is keeping pace in fundraising. In fact, uh, on the eight-day reports that just came out yesterday, um, both candidates raised over a million dollars between the 30-day report and the eight-day report, so in three weeks. 
um, making this is the most expensive house race in the state. Uh, and also want to mention, because those are two Collin County races, uh, Collin County turnout numbers are the second highest in the state with 59% have voted already. So that could impact the Shaheen and the Leach races. And then in the fourth race in tier one, I was surprised um, to see the partisan index numbers on Representative Brad Buckley's district. Um, it's House District 54 in the Colleen area uh, because both Trump and Cruz carried it in the last two elections. And Buckley has a very large fundraising lead, but some believe that Kiki Williams has a chance of pulling an upset there. So, so that's the race to watch. Okay. So you, you, you mentioned there are four tiers in your mind for Democratic Opportunity Districts. You just covered tier one. Talk to us now about tier two. Mm -hmm. In the tier two Democratic Opportunity Districts, there are four more races um, that are targeted by Democrats. Um, the House District 26 race where Rick Miller is retiring is a target that's an open seat and open seats are often more competitive. Um, last in 2018, uh, the Democrat Sarah DeMerchant who's running again this time, lost to Representative Miller by almost five points. Um, the Republican JC Jetton is the former Fort Bend County Republican Party Chair. Um, he raised over a million dollars in the eight day report period. Um, I think it'll be hard for the D's to pick this seat up, but the race will be affected by Congressional District 22 race that overlaps in over 88% of this district. And that is an open congressional race uh, to replace Congressman Pete Olson. And it's um, highly competitive. And the second race is House District 96. Um, Democrats have hope of picking up the open seat that Bill Zedler is vacating because there is a libertarian in the race. Um, but Republican David Cook is the former mayor of Mansfield. Um, he has name ID and a fundraising lead. Um, he raised over a million dollars in the eight day reporting period. Um, but I wanna make a note here. Um, this is the first of several potentially competitive Tarrant County House seats. Uh, we'll talk about others, but I believe Tarrant County holds the key to whether the Democrats can take the house and I think that that's one of the best opportunities in Tarrant County that the Democrats have. Next in House District 121 in San Antonio, uh, Representative Steve Allison is in a rematch with his 2018 Democratic challenger, Selena Montoya. Uh, Montoya got 45% of the vote in 2018. Um, Allison won by almost 8.5 points, even with a libertarian in that race who took two points. Um, their fundraising has been comparable, but um, this will be a hard one for the D's to pick up, particularly with no libertarian in the race this time. And the fourth race, in spite of the numbers in House District 32, Todd Hunter's race in Corpus Christi is not competitive, but it is uh, the fourth race in Tier 2. Okay, so now we move on to the Tier 3, which is slightly less opportunity, but still nonetheless Democratic Opportunity Districts. You want to talk about those? Yes, yeah, so now in Tier 3, we're moving into districts that are 55% Republican or, or more. Um, so that used to be the upper limit on my swing category, um, but in 2016, the Democrats picked up an almost 58% Republican seat in Dallas. Um, the next cycle in 2008, the Democrats picked up a seat that was almost 58% Republican in Houston. And in 2010, 
Republicans picked up a 57% Democratic seat in Corpus Christi. And as we know, in 2018, Democrats picked up two seats in Houston that were over 60% Republican and a 60% Republican district in Denton County. So that puts some of these over 55% Republican districts into the swing category. Um, and so that's the case in House District 64 in Denton County, Representative Lynn Stuckey's district. Trump defeated Clinton by 14 points in 2016, but in 2018, Cruz and O'Rourke broke even. So that district is changing dramatically and quickly. Um, it's one of the high growth counties. Denton County is one of the high growth counties in the state. Uh, Democrat Angela Brewer's fundraising has been comparable and that could be a race to watch, especially because the exceptionally high turnout in Denton County, as mentioned, it's already 58%. And then in the Houston area, the fact that Democrats picked up two 60% Republican House seats in 2018 and the Houston area um, through strength of voter turnout and arguably uh, complacent incumbents, um, Representative Sam Harless and House District 126 appears vulnerable. Um, he is not a complacent candidate, however, uh, but turnout in Houston appears to be strong again. And this is a rematch uh, with Natalie Hurtado who Harless defeated by nine points in 2018. Uh, next are two of the Tarrant County districts being targeted by Democrats. Um, Craig Goldman's seat in House District 97, where Trump beat Clinton by 10 points in 2016, and Cruz beat O'Rourke by over three and a half points in 2018. Um, Democrat Elizabeth Beck outraised Goldman on the 30-day report. Uh, on the eight-day report that came out yesterday, he had rallied. Um, raising over a million, 1.2 million in the last three weeks, uh, thanks to over 200,000 from Texans for Lawsuit Reform and $100,000 from Governor Abbott. Um, and House District 92 is a big target for the Democrats because it's an open seat that Jonathan Stickland narrowly won in 2018. And um, there was a libertarian in that race and it made Stickland's race very competitive. Um, this time, a libertarian filed in this race and later dropped out. Um, that would have advantaged the Ds, but the libertarian has dropped out of that race. Interestingly, however, there's a Green Party candidate uh, in the race, and Green Party candidates siphon Democratic votes in the same way libertarians detract from Republican strength. So, so that's a race to watch. Okay, so finally we get to the tier four districts, and these are obviously long shots in your mind. They are. There are four races in the tier four Republican swing districts category, and they are, they are the longest shots, but possible. Um, District 28 is a rematch from that January 28th special election runoff uh, to fill the unexpired term of Representative John Zerwas. So the now Representative Gary Gates won that runoff by just over 16 points. That's a lot of deficit for Markowitz to make up. Next are two more Tarrant County seats held by Matt Krause and Tony Tinderholt. And the Tinderholt seat could swing to the Ds because of the Libertarian. In 2018, the Libertarian candidate in this district got 3.6% uh, 3 of the vote which is very high. Libertarians usually max out at about 3%. And the same Libertarian who ran last time is running again. 
Um, last is uh, Representative Ed Thompson's district in Brazoria County. Um, it's not financially competitive and O'Rourke lost to Cruz by over five points in it in 2018. I think this race is only on the radar because of the Congressional District 22 race to replace Pete Olson. It overlaps in 90% of the, this district. And so far the Brazoria County turnout has been over 50%. It's, as high, it's one of the highest at 54%. Okay, so that's a lot of information to absorb on the House side. So ultimately, what is your conclusion about the D's chances of taking the House? Well, if the Democrats held on to all 12 seats that they gained in 2018, and they win the three Democratic seats held by Republicans, and they win the two Collin County seats, and pick up a Houston seat and or Denton seat, they still need two or three seats in Tarrant County to take over the House. So in my view, Tarrant County is the battleground. Um, Tarrant County is the last large metropolitan area um, that the Democrats have not taken over. Um, initially, Tarrant County was not one of the top early voting counties, but it's now uh, early voted almost 50%. So the D's might be uh, competitive there. Um, and Democrats have to overcome the loss of straight ticket voting. So I'm not saying that the D's cannot take the House, but a lot of things have to happen. High turnout, and a strong Democratic showing, particularly in Tarrant County. Okay. So what about the statewide races? Do the Democrats have any chance in Texas in a statewide race? Um, the Democrats have a chance. I think it's a long shot for Biden to carry Texas. Turnout would have to be way off the chart, although it is heading in that direction. Uh, I also don't think it's likely for MJ Hager to defeat John Cornyn in the US Senate race. Um, Cornyn doesn't have the energized base that Cruz had, um, but he also doesn't trigger the visceral negative reaction that Cruz produces in some voters. Um, but also MJ Hager doesn't have the charismatic appeal that Beto O'Rourke generated last time. So I think if the D's win a statewide race, it would be the Railroad Commission race or one of the Supreme Court or Court of Criminal Appeals races. Um, this week, Michael Bloomberg committed almost $3 million to Krista Castaneda's Railroad Commission campaign. So I'm watching down ballot races for a potential Democratic pickup. You know, the first statewide race the Republicans picked up after several decades of statewide Democratic domination in Texas was the Agriculture Commissioner race, which Rick Perry won in 1990. Well, Dana, that's a, a lot of great information and it certainly gives us a lot to think about in the final few days of this election. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us today and, and giving your time. This is, this is good information. Thank you, Eric. This episode is sponsored by Eric Wright and Associates. Eric Wright and Associates is a full-service government relations consulting firm located right around the corner from the state capitol in Austin, Texas. 
They create opportunities, define strategies, and deliver solutions to challenges involving the executive, legislative, and regulatory branches of Texas state government. Go to www.righttexas.com today to learn more.